now with the latest from the world of technology. This is the Tech Guide podcast with Stephen Fennick. Let's jump straight in. Tech Guide. This was a real effort to push into that growing consumer space, very competitive space in Australia. It does give the user plenty of options, whether you're working or viewing content on the device. Keeping you updated and educated. This is the Tech Guide podcast. Knowing Apple, you just don't know what to expect. They've gone from taking an excellent device and they've made it even better. It's had a redesign inside and out. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide, episode 205. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and always educated about the latest consumer tech news, views, and reviews. Thanks for once again listening and once again downloading. And first time listeners, we're glad to have you aboard. My name is Stephen Fennick, and I'm the editor of the excellent website techguide.com.au. On this week's show, we're going to talk about LG's flagship 4K OLED TVs that have finally landed in Australia. We're also going to discuss how subscription video on-demand services have exploded in 2016, and Telstra has launched a new smart home platform. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to look at the Netatmo weather station. We're going to have a listen to the Bose QC35 Bluetooth noise-cancelling headphones, and we're going to run our eye over the Oppo R9 smartphone. And we're going to wrap things up, as we always do, with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. Lots to talk about, so let's jump straight in. Well, it's no secret that LG certainly has the advantage when it comes to OLED technology. Uh, They're the only major TV manufacturer really pushing this technology. Now, OLED, for those who aren't aware what it means, is short for Organic Light Emitting Diode. This is a self-illuminating material. Now, with this type of television, there are two main benefits. The first is that because that OLED is a self-illuminating material, what's one thing you don't need if it's self-illuminating? And that would be a backlight. Don't need a backlight. So the first advantage here is the ability to create really thin televisions. Advantage number two, because you don't have a backlight, that gives OLED the advantage when it comes to creating the blackest blacks. Now, OLED pixels, because they're self-illuminating, they can also not illuminate. So when they're off, they are off. There's no backlight to block. They are completely off. And as a result, the blacks are blacker than any black you'll ever see on a television, Uh, unlike an LED TV where there's a constant backlight that needs to be blocked by pixels. Sometimes there's a little bit of light leakage and the the result is not having the blackest black. They're, they're still very good blacks on other LED TVs, but you'll find that it can't compare to OLED. So with that in mind, LG has really ramped up production. Uh, they've apparently sold more than 25,000 TVs in Australia. My information, in fact, is that Australians have taken up OLED per capita on average 
faster than the United States. That's how much we love our technology. That's how much we love our TVs. And apparently, that's how much we love OLED. Now, LG's new TVs, their flagship TVs that we discussed back in January at the Consumer Electronics Show, they have arrived. This is the G6T Signature LED uh, OLED TV and the E6T. Now, what makes these so special? Well, the design, especially of the G6T, is remarkable. The E6T, very similar design as well. And what you're basically seeing here is a sheet of glass. The OLED panel itself, okay, the part, the TV part, the OLED panel, remember there's no backlight, the panel itself is just 2.57 millimetres, that's with an M, millimetres thick. So it is remarkably thin. And what LG has done is actually bonded that OLED panel to a, a glass back. Reason for that is because the panel is so thin, it needed some integrity. It needed, it needed a backing panel so that it'd have some structural integrity. Because you've got to remember, these things are going to be shipped around. They're going to be installed in homes. So LG had to put that glass there to support that super, super thin OLED panel. And it's still stunning to see. We, we did take a look at these at, at, at the Consumer Electronics Show, and it is absolutely a head-turner. Incredible. The G6T, that sheet of glass actually is built into a front-facing soundbar speaker system. So not only do you get this remarkably thin TV, but the guts of the TV and the soundbar are built into the, the base. They, they become the base of the television. Similarly, the E6T also has that similar ultra-slim profile and built-in soundbar. The G6T, though, the flagship, that soundbar, it can be folded up behind the screen in the event of a customer wanting to mount it on the wall. So it's got all, all of those. That, that It has that capability as well. So amazing design, picture quality to die for. These new TVs also have Dolby Vision. Now, this is LG's version of HDR. It's a, it's a souped-up, on-steroids on, on version of HDR because Dolby, which is normally an audio company, has, has backed this new technology, uh, and so has Hollywood. A lot of the studios are already producing movies with uh, Dolby Vision and remastering older movies with Dolby Vision as well. Uh, so you can expect to see that, and it would look spectacular on this new LED LG OLED TV. These TVs are in in stores this week. I understand the G6T is prime. It's a 65 inch TV, by the way. Both of these, are the G6T and E6T, are available in both in 65 inch. The E6T also has a 55 inch version. The G6T 65 inch, ten thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. And when you see this TV, it's like a work of art. There'll be people more than willing to pay that kind of money because it is a remarkable television, not only in style, but in quality. It's an all-round all great product. The E6T is 9499 and the 55-inch E6T is $6,499 as well. 
if you want to check out those TVs, and not only can you see them on techguide.com.au, but you can also go in-store and take the LG OLED challenge. It's very hard to show you OLED quality when you're reading my story on Tech Guide or in a TV commercial. The best thing to do is to head into a store and compare side-by-side OLED with a normal LED TV. You will be amazed. That story, as well as the photos of the G6T and the E6T, you can find them at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Hands up if you are a Netflix customer. Uh, keep your hand in the air if you are if you have a second or third subscription video on demand service like Presto and Stan. Well, surprisingly, there are a lot of you out there that are multiple. SVOD subscribers, that's subscription video on demand. So you've got your Netflix, Stan, and Presto are the main three. And as it turns out, there's some new research by Telsite, the technology analyst firm, that the subscriptions have exploded. And by the end of this month, by the end of June, there will be 2.7 million active subscriptions in Australia. Now, that's a growth from last year, 2015, that's a growth of 46%. Incredible. Now, Telsite's research shows that 43% of all Australians are now either pay TV customers or have subscribed to subscription video on-demand services. And that's an increase. That total number, the 40, that 43% figure, is actually a 4% increase over the past 12 months. So SVOD, remarkable growth. And the subscriber the, the subscriber base is only going to get bigger, and they're, they're talking that by 2019 that number is going to reach 4.1 million, and at that time, at 4.1 million, it will exceed the number of pay TV subscribers. So there are so there's so much choice out there as of as of this this month. There were 3.3 million pay TV subscribers in Australia. So by 2019, there will be more subscription video on-demand customers than there are pay TV subscribers. So uh, it's just remarkable. This love affair has truly blossomed in Australia for subscription video on-demand services. And this has been helped not only because Netflix has launched here and it kind of created all this awareness around subscription video on-demand services. That's true. Netflix is still the leader, but you'll be surprised to know that Netflix, they yes, they are in the lead, but it's actually Stan and Presto that have experienced faster growth in the last 12 months. And, and the research puts that down to Netflix customers adopting a second or third service as they search for more content. So it, it's pretty healthy uh, industry out there. And Telsite says that one in five Netflix customers actually has more than one subscription video on-demand services. That That's a lot. And, of course, other things like uh, growing interest in 4K content. There's a lot of people with 4K televisions, and now they can access 4K content, streaming content, through Netflix and other services uh, later later this year as well. So the it is a healthy market out there. It's uh, remarkable too how many people access their video on demand services on their mobile device. The research says that streaming content 
for customers, for, for SVOD customers, that accounts for 30% of their mobile data is streaming subscription video on demand services. And these customers naturally tend to be, tend to have a larger data cap than the users who, do, who don't stream their subscription video on demand content. So you can see that subscription video on demand content, streaming that anywhere you want, has been a solid motivation for customers to get larger data, monthly data caps. It is a very, very healthy subscription video on-demand market out there, and it's only going to grow. If you want to see all of those figures, you can check them all out at techguide.com.au. Now, Telstra is a company we normally associate with uh, mobile phones and broadband. Well, or they are also going to become a company that you're going to associate with smart homes, and the reason for that is because they've just launched a new platform called, wait for it, Telstra Smart Home. <laughs> the Telstra Smart Home platform, to be precise. It's going to launch later this year. And what it's going to allow you to do is to have control of the devices in your home, despite them being from different manufacturers and having different functionality, It'll allow you to control all of that, all of those devices in one place through one single Telstra smart home app. And this this is a, a terrific idea when you consider this market, the Internet of Things market, so the home automation, smart home, whatever you want to call it. It's predicted that within the next five years, in Australia alone, it's going to be worth more than one billion dollars annually just within five, the next five years. So uh, you can see why Telstra, a company like Telstra is getting behind this and allowing people to access this kind of, uh, this kind of service, this kind of ability through, from one place. Because you consider the number of, of devices out there, the number of manufacturers who've got product, who've got cameras and uh, the, the sensors, motion sensors, all, all you know, smart switches, light switches, all of these devices are all created. It, it not there's not one manufacturer that creates everything. There's a Belkin product here. There's a Netgear product over here. There's a, another a Swan product over here, uh, and all these other different brands. And at the moment, they don't all talk to each other. So what Telstra is aiming to do with this is is a give people a, an on ramp to this whole world from one place where they can get their understanding and control from one place rather than diving in and out of apps and different uh, different um, apps from different manufacturers, different products from different manufacturers. Yes, there will be products from different manufacturers, but they will all fall under this new Telstra smart home platform, which is being helped being put together with the help of iControl Networks. So this is a global smart home solutions provider. So they're going to have this flexible platform for multiple devices, different operating systems, so you can have a single solution in your home. It's a, it's a little similar to, you may cast your mind back a couple of weeks ago when we were in, the, in San Francisco for the Worldwide Developers Conference, Apple and their HomeKit. You remember us talking about the HomeKit where companies can make their apps and devices home kit enabled so when they're developing the app they can tick all the boxes so that in in a similar way that apps can plug into the health app on your iPhone imagine those home automation apps tapping into the home app on that's going to be part of iOS 10 which is powered by the home kit which is the developer language to make all of those 
be recognized in one place. So that similar to the Telstra smart home platform, you'll be able to control everything from the single app rather than having several apps uh, and, and not having that kind of seamless connection uh, from one place. Telstra smart home platform, it is being tested it's going to be released later this year. It's uh, we understand we're going to. It's going to be on display for the first time at the Technology and Gadget Expo. If you're living in Melbourne, it takes place this weekend. Uh, it's actually, it took place last weekend, I should say. It's gone by. It did have its first public display last weekend. We're recording this on the 27th of June, so you have uh, you have missed out if you have didn't get down to the expo. But we are going to cover this uh, when it does come out later this year. It's going to be available in the next few months, and we're hoping to get our hands on it from the get-go to write our review. But if you want to learn a little bit more about Telstra Smart Home Platform and what, what we can expect, the different scenarios, I'll, I'll actually run through them really quickly. Now, the first scenario they have is called Watch and Monitor. So you can watch your home remotely, get feedback from your motion sensors and things like that. The other is an automation and energy saving option. So uh, this will tap into your smart plugs, motion sensors, so that you can be using less energy in your home. So uh, those two solutions are going to be the start. And we will give you all that information once it comes to hand, once we write our review. But in the meantime, as we said, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. And they've introduced the new Arlo Q. This is an AC-powered, full HD 1080p camera with audio and enhanced night vision that lets you see and hear in perfect detail. Arlo Q is designed to deliver the best experience indoors. It comes with two-way audio, so you can listen and talk back and forth through the camera. That means you could pop in to see how things are going at home while you're out. You can set motion alerts, let you know if anyone, anything moves, and you can use seven days of free cloud encodings to store a video record of your events online. With Arlo, you've got every angle covered. If you want more information, you can visit arlo.com forward slash au. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennig. Our first review is of a product from a French company called Natatmo. It's their Natatmo weather station. Now, this is an interesting product because I liken this for your home. I liken this product to an activity band that we would wear. Imagine the reason why we wear an activity band is so it can track our steps, our calories burned, distance traveled, and then allowing us to act on that data. Well, imagine the Netatmo weather station as a similar type of product for your house. So you've got a weather station indoors, you've got a weather station outdoors, and you've got the option of adding a rain gauge and a wind gauge so that you can gather even more data about the environment in inside and outside of your home. So you can measure the weather. And you can use that data, which I'll discuss a little bit later, in various ways. Now the station itself, the weather station, uh, there is it does the actual weather station comes with an indoor and an outdoor sensor. So the indoor controller is the taller of the two. It needs to be continually powered and positioned in a central part of the house that can give you uh, information like your temperature, the noise, the humidity, 
the air, air quality, and the smaller device, which needs to be placed outside, but outside under cover, so not directly in the weather, not in the rain. Ironically, you don't put a weather outdoor weather station in the rain. It's got to be under cover. In 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 my instance here, I put it in in under uh, on a pole in my on my pergola, so it's under cover, but still outside, and it can then give you the outside temperature and humidity and all those that information as well. And once they're connected, of course, you connect them to your home network, you download the app, and you see the data coming in. You see all of that information straight away. Now, you, you also have the option of adding a rain gauge, as we did, as, as, as we also uh, installed a wind gauge as well. Now, the, the Tatmo weather station, so the, that starter pack starts at, uh, that, that's $299. And if you want to add the wind gauge, that's an extra $199.99. The Natatmo rain gauge is $149.99 as well. So to get the whole set, uh, it's a decent investment, but you do get a lot of data that can be used in various ways. Now, I do know for a fact there are such things, there are there is such a thing as a weather nerd, people who just nerd out, who geek out on weather. So imagine having access and information about the microclimate around your home. I'm not a weather nerd, but I am slowly turning into one because now I'm fascinated by knowing the wind speed at my home, the amount of rain that fell in the last hour, uh, and all this information that I have at my fingertips, whether I'm inside my network or, or remotely accessing that information. And... You can not only see that on your app, you can see it on a browser. You can even map your weather. There, There is a way to view your weather station and anyone else who has an Atatmo weather station anywhere in the world. So on a map, you can see your own home and other homes that happen to have a weather station as well. So you can view the weather at their place and the wind speed and all this information. So all these little microclimates you can see around whether it's in the next suburb, in the next state, or in another country on the other side of the world, you are able to view that information. And so if you happen to, if you happen to be travelled to a certain part of the world or a certain part of the country, you can then log in to those weather stations and just see things like temperature, wind speed, if it's been raining, uh, just on that map as well. So it kind of creates a community of weather stations that allows you to share your information. You can also email access to uh, friends and family who want to access your weather station information as well. So you can view all the data that's coming out of their gauges and their uh, controls as well and see them uh, on your app or on your browser as well. But another thing you can do with all this data, so what, what else can you do with this data? Well, this allows you to act on the data. Like, for example, it, you can receive notifications if, if wind speeds reach a certain certain speed or if it starts to rain. You can be notified about these things. So if it starts to rain, it's a good thing to know because you can bring the washing in or close your windows. Rather than finding out too late when it's already raining or raining heavy, your clothes are going to get wet or the inside of your house is going to get wet because you haven't shut your windows. Also, it does give you an appreciation for keeping your home warm or keeping your home cool. 
So it's kind of like the seeing the the taxi meter in 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 the car. So you know that okay, that that's what that's what I'm up for at the moment. In a similar way, if you see the temperature in your house, you know the value of keeping windows or doors closed to keep the heat in your house. Or in the opposite way, you can see the value of opening doors and opening windows to let the heat out. So it does allow you to have some kind of reference on how hot or cold your home is and what you need to do about it. Now, the other thing you can do is link these gauges and, and this information to the If This Then That website. Now, this is a site that offers recipes for triggering these notifications. So you, you can set up these little, these little uh, sequences that if, if this happens, do this. There are several recipes from, you know, on the If This Then That website that allows you to access and act on the data you receive from your Natatmo weather station. For example, you may set a recipe from If This Then That to, and you may have a smart switch on your heater or uh, in your home. So you might say, when the temperature drops to 10 degrees inside, turn on the heater. And the opposite way, you might have another rule to say, when the temperature reaches 18 degrees, turn off the heater. So there's just a couple of examples of what you can do uh, with that information. You may re- you may want to have a notification when the wind, wind reaches a certain speed. So you might receive an alert to say, look, it's 20 kilometers an hour, wind's outside. So you can bring your pets inside or store your outdoor furniture, things like that. So rather than knowing too late when the winds has pick, wind has picked up, you'll know straight away that the wind's at that speed and you can then act on it. So they're just a couple of examples of the possibilities uh, of the data, of using the data with uh, from your Natatmo weather station. Now, weather, uh, it's something we all talk about. How many times have you had a conversation? Oh, it's a great, nice day today. Oh, a bit cold today. It's a very, very, very common conversation starter. Uh, and if you've got your own weather, you'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, so the Natatmo weather station, it does remind me, and I, I do quote this in my review on Tech Guide, it reminds you of the Crowded House song, uh, Weather With You, I think it's called, and there's a line in it where it says, everywhere you go, always take the weather with you. Well, with the Natatmo weather station, that's exactly what you can do. If you want to read our complete review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide, this is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. All right, next up is one of our favorite products, I have to say, that I've reviewed of late. Uh, and they are, this is the Bose QC35 noise-canceling headphones. Now, QC is short for quiet comfort, QC35 noise-canceling headphones. And this time out, these are wireless. They have Bluetooth on board. And what, what Bose has done is not just taken away the, the cord, and said, righto, that's the new model, same old stuff without a cable. No, they haven't done that. They've actually gone in and somehow improved the audio. To my ears, these sound even better than the previous model, which was the QC25, and as well as being better than the QC20s, which are the in-ear noise-cancelling headphones. I think that these, these headphones have a crisper cleaner sound at the sort of top and middle end top and middle range and also a better bass i think the the bass isn't stronger it's a bit more uh it it is a bit more authoritative in in the music 
So I, I do I do feel that the bass is more present, if you like. So they've really nailed the audio quality once again. And they've done it, don't forget, without a cable. So this is all streamed via Bluetooth to your smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever you're streaming, where you're streaming your content from. No more cables involved. So when you switch on, it switches on Bluetooth because there's a built-in battery this time. There's no AAA battery that you need to carry around as a spare. You just need to remember to charge the onboard battery, which will last about, I think, 20 hours, which is enough to fly from Sydney to London on, on a single charge. Uh, plenty of uh, life in that battery. But you've got to remember, too, that the, the, the noise cancellation technology, Bose have always been a leader. The noise cancellation is worked out through microphones on the inside and outside of the ear cups. And what it does, it measures that ambient noise and then generates an opposite signal to cancel it out. And again, it's one of the best features. Even if you're not listening to music, is the noise cancellation. Because when you, when you flick them on, you can hear like the air has been sucked out of the room. All the noises just, just goes. And whether you're listening to music or just love the sound of silence... Uh, they're pretty good. In my when I was writing my review, I just had the, the the headphones on noise cancellation, but without listening to music. And even though the keyboard was just below, just in front of me, I couldn't hear the key myself tapping the keys. That's how much it cancelled out the noise. So you can imagine just how well it goes when you're on public transport, if you're in your office in public on a plane. Uh, that does cut out the noise brilliantly. Speaking of planes. Now, I did mention these are wireless via Bluetooth. One thing a plane's in-flight entertainment system does not have is Bluetooth connectivity. So what do you do? Well, Bose, of course, hasn't. is not going to leave you stranded there. They have included, in the case, a regular audio cable. So if you do want to, and there's also an adapter. So if you do want to listen to the in-flight entertainment system, simply plug in the cord. You can still have the noise cancellation, so make sure it's turned on. Noise cancellation will still work all through the cable, airline plug adapter, and this is working like a regular pair of Bose noise-canceling headphones, but with improved sound quality. On the ear cup are your controls. So to navigate your music, pause and play, answer your phone calls. Phone calls were really clear on this. I made a few phone calls while wearing the Bose. And the caller, the person I was speaking to at the other end, uh, could hear me really clearly. I could hear them really clearly. Because of the noise cancellation, there was no background noise. I could just hear that person's voice. It was a really clear phone call. So really easy to control uh, and with wireless connectivity, which means you don't have to continually be going back to your device to go to the next song or adjust the volume or pause it. You can actually do that from the ear cup itself. So you can keep you can keep the uh, your phone in your pocket. Even when you're getting a call, uh, the female voice announces the caller. So you can actually know who's calling you without looking at your phone. It does that voice also does give you notifications about things like your battery level, whether what device it's connected to. So it's always talking to you when it's when it's doing something, when it's connecting or disconnecting or answering a, a call as well. The Bose QC35 battery level was terrific. We use these on the way to San Francisco and back again. So the combined usage, you know, it's a 27 hours in total flying, but we, of course, weren't listening to the headphones for 27 straight hours. We, we, at the other times, we were sleeping. So 
It, but what we found is that we didn't need to charge it from the time we left Sydney to the time we came back to Sydney. There was still enough charge to get us to San Fran and back again. Uh, and charging, as I said, is really easy through the USB, the micro USB port. So no need to carry that spare battery around. Uh, you can just charge the inbuilt, uh, the rechargeable battery as well. Now, these headphones are not cheap. They are $499. But in our opinion, these are the best noise-canceling headphones on the market. And as I said in my review, you don't buy Bose headphones, you invest in them. And I think at $499, you know you're making an excellent investment. You're getting an excellent product that has excellent audio quality and noise cancellation. If you want to read our entire review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Now, there are plenty of smartphones on the market, I'm sure you've discovered, and not everyone wants to uh, buy an Apple or a Samsung or, or can buy an Apple or a Samsung. They might not be able to afford them. So as a result, the mid-level range of phones has actually become quite a competitive place in the market. And one of the players in that market is one of the Chinese manufacturers that are doing pretty good business here in Australia, and that's Oppo, O-double-P-O. The Oppo R9 is the smartphone we took a look at, and it is an impressive product. It's only $599. It's got a 5.5-inch AMOLED display, almost goes edge-to-edge. That's what I like about this device. It's only got a one6 millimeter bezel on either side of the screen, so it looks like the screen goes edge-to-edge. So what that means is that you're getting a larger display but inside a chassis that's normally reserved for a smaller 5-inch device. So you get big screen without having the big device. It's just 6.6 millimetres thick and weighs 145 grams. Now, I have to say, they have really taken a, a borrowed heavily from the Apple design. It looks like an iPhone from the, the back curved edges to the front uh, even even the operating system, their Color OS operating system, it's Color OS 3.0, by the way, it does look a lot like Apple's iOS operating system. So it's the most iPhone-looking Android device we've ever seen. Uh, it, it is smaller than an iPhone 6S Plus, despite having the same size screen, and that's because of that edge-to-edge display. It does have... Uh, it, it is... It is noticeably smaller than an iPhone. It does look a lot like an iPhone, though. The, the back panel is sort of similar materials. Uh, the aerial stripe on the back, the camera positioning, all of that, it does look a lot like an iPhone. But, hey, they say flattery. Uh, sorry, they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Now, on the camera side, this is really interesting with this device. The front-facing camera is actually has a higher resolution than the rear camera. The front camera is 16 megapixel, uh, and the back camera is 13 megapixel. So this is a selfie-taker's dream product. And not only does it, has it got that greater resolution, it also has beauty mode, which I gave a try. If you've got to read my review, check out the, the non-beauty mode shot. It's my ugly mug. And then the beauty mode shot makes me look like I've been in makeup for 45 minutes. Uh, it, it is noticeably different. 
So if you want to improve your selfies, not only will it be great quality at 16 megapixel, it will also have the added value of having beauty mode dusted over the top of it as well. The device itself, uh, and by the way, the rear camera, the 30 megapixels, pretty smart camera as well, impressive photos. Uh, obviously not as good as iPhone and Samsung at the top end, but not far behind. I think you, they're, they're impressive, uh, more than acceptable, great Great quality for sharing on social media uh, and uh, things like that. So definitely worth a look. Uh, on the performance side, the uh, it comes with an octa-core processor. There's 4 gig of RAM, which is impressive, 64 gig of internal memory, which is also more generous than uh, other devices. And there is a hybrid SIM slash memory card slot as well. So you can expand the memory even further than that onboard 64 gig as well. So you're going to see apps opening straight away, camera activating straight away. Uh, so this is a really fast performer. On the battery side, the Oppo R9 has a 2850 milliamp hour battery. So that will last you all day. Very impressive battery life. But one thing it's also got is VOOC fast charging technology. That's one thing, one problem trying to charge your phone it can take hours. With the Oppo R9, with this VOOC fast charging, just 30 minutes of charging can get you back to about 70% of your battery capacity, which is remarkable. Just a five-minute charge will give you enough power to make a two-hour phone call. So imagine you're about to go out and you think, oh, I'm down to 5%. If you just stick it in the charger for 30 minutes with the VOOC fast charger, you're going to get back up to 70% in just half an hour. That's incredible. The Oppo R9 is available now. It's available in gold and rose gold, and it also comes with a cover. You, you don't find most cover manufacturers only look after Apple and Samsung. Oppo packs a cover, a soft silicon cover, in the box. So if you want to buy this phone, it does come with its own cover in the box. Priced at 599 bucks, you can buy it at JB Hi-Fi. And if you want to read our review, our full review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fenney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Now, we do store a lot of valuable stuff on our devices, our computers, our family photos, our videos, and plus important documents, maybe tax documents or work documents. But imagine not being able to access all those things if they were all gone. What about what if they were encrypted and impossible to retrieve from your own computer? That, ladies and gentlemen, is called ransomware. And that's a malware that locks you out of your own files and then demands you pay up or lose access to them forever. This is on the rise in Australia. And the worrying thing is that Australia is now the most targeted country for ransomware attacks in the Southern Hemisphere. Norton Security Premium is a powerful internet security solution that can help keep you safe from ransomware by identifying and warning you against dodgy files before you click and backing up files from your PC to the cloud so you'll always have a copy if anything goes awry. To learn more about how to protect your online life, visit au.norton.com. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. One question I had for the Tech Guide Help Desk this week, it was uh, one of our readers emailed in and said, look, what is the best way 
to store digital photos. So I, I t- I've taken this to mean storing them off a device so or off a computer. You need a backup. So the photos you take on your phone, you can set up a, 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 a rule to save. Every time you take a photo, it can go to one of your cloud storage services, whether it's iCloud, Google Drive, OneDrive. You can Whatever you take is saved up in the cloud. So that gives you a digital backup. That's one way to do it. The other way is to download them to your computer. So if you're on the computer, they're going to also be backed up to your external hard drive. So that's another way to store and back up your digital photos. But if you really want to to protect, safeguard your library of memories, your photos, then you can do one of a few things. One of them is printing them. If you If you do like a certain number of photos, and rather than leaving them in the digital world where they're just sitting there in a file, having them printed out. The old photo album is a great way to store your pictures and look at them and see them whenever you need them. The other thing to do, if you really want to get into it, if you really want to to save your photos, to uh, keep a record of your photos, is to burn them to a disc. You can now burn to Blu-ray disc, to compact disc, to DVD. So there's all these storage capacities. So obviously CD doesn't have as much as DVD and Blu-ray has even more. So you can store them. You can archive them on, on a disc. Having them on an external hard drive is okay, but if that hard drive fails in five years, how are you going to see your photos? So we've got to have a record of them somewhere. That's why we have backups. If your computer fails, you've got a backup. If your phone dies or you've lost it or someone stole it, you've got a backup. So always have a second version of your photos and archiving them. So having them on a CD, you can fit so many photos, thousands of photos on a CD or a DVD disc, then that way you can save an entire year's worth of photos on a single disc if you wanted to. And you can just have that on your shelf ready to be accessed. So if anything breaks or anything fails on your computer or your hard drive, you know you've got them on a disc. Just some tips on how to store your digital photos. You're listening to Tech Guide. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show for this week. Everything we've spoken about on the show, you can read at techguide.com.au. And we love to hear from you. So don't be afraid to get in touch. Email us at info at techguide.com.au. We we may be reading your question on the Tech Guide help desk. You can also contact me on Twitter. I'm at Stephen Fennec, and that's Stephen spelt with a P-H, at Stephen Fennec. I'd love for you uh, to to say g'day, and I will promise I will say g'day back. Tell me you've listened to the podcast, and I will send you a cheerio as well. We want to give a special shout-out to our sponsors as well, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and Norton, the company that can keep you and your devices and your family all safe online. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. It's been great having you with us once again. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.